Hello and welcome on to another episode of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. So seeding games have now commenced. We are officially back in the NBA in terms of games that actually matter, games that are going to count towards the schedule. Obviously, all the games prior to that were more of a tune-up, uh, you know, exhibition of some sort. But now, games count. And we've had a number of good games uh, to start off here this weekend. I'm recording this podcast uh, just after 2.30 on Sunday, August 2nd. So, by this time that I've recorded this, we've had, you know, quite a number of, uh, of good games. Uh, starting with uh, the Lakers and the Clippers uh, that occurred, uh, I believe it was... Uh, on Thursday, and that was a fantastic game, a uh, close game as well. And the Jazz and Pelicans also went down to the wire in, in a good game. So both of those uh, games, a great way to start off uh, the NBA kicking back up again. Uh, but there's a couple uh, additional games that I really wanted to focus on more so than those games, and that was the games that occurred uh, last night on Saturday. And, well, one that occurred last night on Saturday, which was the Lakers and the Raptors. And the other game that occurred was the Rockets and the Mavericks. So those are two games that we're going to touch on today. Some of the stuff that I saw uh, from those specific games. Uh, We're also going to touch on TJ Warren's massive 53-point night against the Sixers. Uh, That was uh, something... Uh, that was quite unexpected for him to have a career high uh, to that magnitude was quite impressive. And uh, we're also going to touch on whether or not the the Pelicans dropping two games in a row mean that they are out of uh, contention to get into the playoffs. So we're going to touch on those four topics today. Those will be the main four. And uh, that'll, uh, that, uh, that'll wrap up the podcast when we finish that. So... Let's start off here, uh, Rockets versus the Mavericks. The Rockets came out on top in overtime with a score, a whopping score of 153 to 149 in overtime, highlighted by James Harden's 49 points, getting back to his scoring ways. He looks like he hasn't missed a beat whatsoever, and I I think that's where we have to start here from uh, Rockets Mavericks is James Harden is continues to be uh, an absolutely phenomenal, incredible offensive player. And, you know, this isn't news to anybody. It's not like I'm speaking uh, some hot takes into the microphone when I say that. But sometimes I think we just forget just exactly how good a guy like James Harden is. I mean, this is a guy who is not only phenomenal as a one-on-one scorer, but also as a passer, as a playmaker. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, Steph Curry being a system uh, for the Golden State Warriors, where his ability to draw gravity off the ball opens up stuff for other guys. And, you know, obviously the ability to play on the ball uh, is also fantastic uh, when he's, uh, you know, hitting threes and all that sort of stuff uh, or, you know, attacking bigs off of switches and whatnot. James Harden, I'm convinced, is also a system uh, in himself. Uh, And the reason I say that is because, look, uh, you know, the Rockets don't necessarily run a ton of, you know, set plays. It's more of just, you know, they go out there and, you know, they they hoop. They they just play basketball and they they hunt mismatches. They see, you know, what's available to them and and they just, you know, play off of that. You know, James Harden is the epitome of that. He sees an opportunity to take his guy that he doesn't believe can guard him one-on-one. He's going to be able to do that and make him pay at a high level, whether that's, you know, getting to the step back, uh, all variations of step back. Step backs going to his right, to his left, uh, directly back. I've posted a video on all the 
James Harden step back variations in the past. You can go take a look at that on the uh, ISO Ball Pod YouTube channel if you feel the need to do that. But he's got all those in his bag. He can also drive by you, uh, force a secondary defender to commit, and then throw the lob or throw a skip pass to the corner. Um, he and you know that's just based off one on one. But now when teams start doubling him like they did last night. Then there's a whole other system that opens up here, and that is basically the four-on-three offense, essentially, that the Rockets are now able to play because the uh, the defensive team, in this case the Mavericks, are choosing to commit two to the ball, which means one player will always be open if they you know pass and uh, handle the situation correctly. So that's what happened last night. After Harden got it going, he got he was hitting the step backs. He was getting to the rim, getting to the free throw line, as as Harden does always. They started now doubling him, and uh, basically they had a guy uh, set the pick, whether that be you know PJ Tucker, whether that be you know Daniel House, uh, Russell Westbrook, whoever that may be, one of the obviously undersized uh, fives or fours on the court would set the screen. Harden would throw the little pocket pass into the middle of the floor, and basically it was up to that player to make the right read in a four-on-three scenario and find the open shooter. And a lot of the time last night, it was actually Robert Covington who was open, and Robert Covington uh, obviously didn't make that many three-pointers. I think he was just one of nine, but he got a lot of good open looks, and a lot of other players got open looks off that action as well. Um, So... And, and again, that's all based on the fact that you have to double Harden because he's just so lethal one-on-one and he's going to be able to, you know, make you pay in all those scenarios. So, um, you know, I just wanted to highlight again just how fantastic James Harden is as, is as a player. He's a system in himself. Uh, his, you know, his system... Uh, as a one-on-one player, as a guy who can make reads out of the pick and roll, as a guy who's seen just about every defensive coverage you can throw at him, is a guy that can lead basically any team to 50 wins, in my opinion. Uh, no matter who's playing with him, and you know the Rockets don't necess- aren't you know playing with nobody. They've got some you know good players on their team, and uh, and it shows when they're able to put up that many points. Uh, so Harden obviously was absolutely fantastic. Um, they started doubling him, and guys like Daniel House and P.J. Tucker got open for some threes. I believe Daniel House hit six threes uh, in this game. Ben McLemore hit four threes as well. P.J. Tucker had two of his own. And the Rockets made 19 in this game uh, on route to obviously 153 points. So, you know, the Rockets, you know, they can still score. They're still a, a very, very potent offense. They're still one of the league's top offenses, one of the top offenses uh, of all time if we're looking at offensive rating statistics and other, uh, you know, per 100 possession statistics as well. So uh, there's nothing to there's nothing to doubt about the, the Houston Rocket offense. Going over to the Mavericks, the Mavericks scoring basically came, and there was no shortage of the Mavericks scoring either. Again, remember the... Uh, Dallas Mavericks best offensive rating in the NBA this year and one of the top offensive ratings uh, of all time uh, you know in comparison in history scored 149 points themselves and the scoring really came from three places and that was highlighted by Kristaps Porzingis in his 39 points but Trey Burke also had 31 and Doncic had 28 and 10 as well um, so for Porzingis it was really a, a field day for him he was just having a, an easy time shooting right over the top of Rockets defenders who are just much shorter than he is. Again, you remember the Rockets aren't playing with a traditional center. They're playing with, uh, you know, uh, two guard, one guard and four wings or two guards and three wings. And whether it was PJ Tucker, whether it was Jeff Green, uh, didn't really matter who was on Porzingis. He was just, you know, just rising up right over the top, hitting those little uh, kiss bank shots that he likes to hit, you know, from the wings. 
and from the mid post, he had those working, and that was uh, very easy for Porzingis to knock down. He hit some threes as well. Uh, you know, Luka Doncic was also, uh, oh, and uh, Porzingis also had 10 free throws as well, so he was also getting to the line. Uh, Luka Doncic didn't necessarily have his three-pointer going, but was able to get to the rim at will, and that was good for 28 points, uh, and I believe he had 10 assists as well. And Trey Burke made 8 out of 10 three-pointers uh, for 31 points. He was just on fire, Trey Burke, and he was a massive uh, part of their offense as well. And we want to talk about... Obviously, for the Rockets, I believe uh, Russell Westbrook had 31 points uh, on his athletic finishes at the rim. That definitely does not go undervalued. His ability to get to the rim, especially in those four-on-three situations for Houston. I just forgot to mention that that deserves uh, some praise because that is valuable for this Rockets team. And um, I think uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. also had 24 points for the Mavericks as well. So, you know, overall takeaways is, you know, obviously you love to see the offense. It was a very entertaining game. Uh, a lot of fun to see. But for both of these teams, I think this holds true, is that both of these teams are going to have to play much better defense if they're going to want to go anywhere in the playoffs. I mean, we can't be having these games uh, in the playoffs and thinking that they're going to win. Uh, eventually, some team is going to force them to miss shots and uh you know, and if the Rockets are just going to continue to, you know, play lackluster defense like they did tonight, and the same goes for the Mavericks. If they both of those teams play lackluster defense, uh, I I don't foresee them going very far because uh, you know there's going to be some defenses that you know come out, come up and stifle them, or are able to score with them uh, at least for a few games in a series, or perhaps both. And if that's the case. Uh, they're going to be in for a long series, and that goes for the Rockets and the Mavericks. So, obviously, great to see the offense, very entertaining stuff. Good to see that a lot of these guys are uh, sharp in terms of their shooting, in terms of their you know offensive sets, offensive uh, ability to execute. That was fantastic to see, especially coming off this massive hiatus and uh, a very uh, quick turnaround in terms of tune-up games to get back into that shape. But uh, again, it's going to be the defense that's going to make the difference for both of these teams if they want to go anywhere in the playoffs. Okay, let's move on here to the Raptors versus the Lakers last night. Uh, the Raptors came out on top 107-92. to uh, And the story of this game, obviously, is that the Raptors' defense continues to be fantastic. Uh, last, uh, last playoffs... Against the Warriors, that is what won them the series against Golden State. It was not their offense. It was their defense. It was their ability to stifle the Warriors' defense. And all year, the Raptors have been an elite defense in the NBA. I believe that they are second behind the Milwaukee Bucks. And they showed it tonight. Uh, their ability to, uh, you know, just execute rotations uh, so crisp is incredible. Their closeout to shooters was fantastic. Uh, the LA Lakers uh, were 10 of 40 from three for 25%. Uh, that has to be credited at least somewhat to the, uh, the Raptors getting hands in their faces for some three pointers and being able to close out uh, two shooters when necessary. And the Raptors' one-on-one -on -one defense was also nothing to, uh, you know, just kind of write off as well. You know, guys like Kyle Lowry, uh, you know, stepping in and, you know, taking charges uh, when needed be. I guess that's more help defense now that I think about it. But uh, the one example I can think of for sure is Fred Van Vliet's work on Kyle Kuzma, who tried to go at him at least three times, that is what I counted. And I don't think that Kuzma scored a single point when Fred Van Vliet was guarding him. And that just goes to show you, you know, these underside gar undersized guards of the Raptors, Fred Van Vliet, and uh, Kyle Lowry, 
obviously take on the challenge of, uh, you know, having bigger guys switch onto them and, you know, trying to contain them one-on-one. And that pretty much goes for all the Raptors as well. We know Siakam is a fantastic defender. He did a nice job on Anthony Davis, holding him to just two of seven, which is also remarkable. And uh, OG Ananobi, who has probably been the Raptors' best defensive player all year, had the task of guarding LeBron James and holding LeBron James to 20 points is, uh, I would say, most for most nights is actually a success, uh, given the fact that... uh, not uh, there wasn't any other Lakers that really went off, so it's not like uh, LeBron was beating them, you know, with his passing or you know uh, slicing them up, making other guys, uh, you know, kind of beat them or get them in good positions to score. Nobody really was going off uh, for the Lakers, and that's evident through the uh, 92 points total that they scored in uh, in regular time. So, you know, the Raptors' defense continues to be the strength of their team. Um, the uh, their ability to just stifle opponents and you know we talked about this in the past but their ability to be a chameleon uh, on defense is what really is tough for them is that they play so many different defensive coverages and based on what your personnel looks like on a night-to-night basis they can adapt to you they can you know they'll they'll double they'll double you off the pick and roll and you know force you to beat somebody else and rotate back and all that stuff they'll they'll hedge and recover they'll play the deep drop they'll uh you know they'll just switch everything if they have to they have so many different ways that they can play defense and that makes it tough for an opponent on any given night to game plan uh, an offensive strategy against the Toronto Raptors because not only uh, are there very few if any weak defensive personnel players for the Toronto Raptors it's also the team scheme that they're able to play on a night-to-night basis that really stifles uh, any offense that comes into the building because they're prepared uh, to uh, you know kind of shift and adjust their defense depending on who they're going to see on a night-to-night basis so uh, that continues to be the strength of their team uh, for uh, you know for the Lakers it was just kind of tough to get, uh, get to get themselves going on offense um, and I think that we kind of mentioned that through the Raptors defense I mean uh, LeBron only 20 points I think he was the leading scorer there um, for the Lakers you know Anthony Davis just two of seven that uh, that rarely happens uh, obviously Kuzma 16 points there Dion Waiters 12 and nobody else really with anything uh, that was overly impressive you know Danny Green 0 of 7 uh, I believe tonight yeah 0 of 7 0 of 6 from 3 uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope just a 1 of 4 from 3 2 of 7 from the field Kyle Kuzma 5 of 13 Deion Waiters, 4 of 11. So uh, a lot of these guys just could not get going whatsoever. And again, we're going to credit that to the Raptors' defense, in my opinion. Um, from the Raptors' offensive side, I think Kyle Lowry, again, leading the charge for the Toronto Raptors, 33 points and a career-high 14 rebounds. Uh, he, did, he did this on just... A bunch of three-pointers, uh, whether it's in transition or you know a dagger at the end of the game with about three minutes left to put them up double digits over over top of Kyle Kuzma. Um, you know, Kyle Lowry also had this one incredible drive where he drove by uh, Anthony Davis on the right side and um, finished uh, on the opposite side of the rim with the right hand uh, reverse layup. It looked really, really nice and uh, really showed that Lowry can still get to the rim if need be. Um, he also, uh, obviously, Lowry taking a couple charges uh, here and there, and that always helps get some extra possessions and things like that. And I would say Lowry, in in general, was the best player on both ends of the floor uh, for the Toronto Raptors uh, by far. Uh, just his defensive energy, you know, his his shooting, his ability to get to the rim, his scoring was huge for this Toronto Raptors team. Uh, and another guy that had a big night was also OG Ananobi. OG Ananobi, 23 points on 8 of 9 shooting, 3 of 3 
uh, from three point uh, from three point range and uh, hit all four of his free throws. Uh, you know, OG uh, looks a, a little bit a little bit slimmer. Looks like he's just not as bulky. He has a uh, I think uh, Leo Routens mentioned this on the podcast or on the uh, on the broadcast, and I tend to agree. It looks a little bit slimmer, a little bit quicker on his feet. It looks like his handles just a little bit tighter. We saw glimpses of OG and OB being able to be a little bit more than a catch and shoot player uh, at, at times this year, where he's able to you know kind of uh, attack a closeout put. Uh, two dribbles on the floor and make a play uh, around the rim. We saw a lot more of that in this game and uh, judging by, you know, the six field goals uh, that weren't three or sorry, five field goals that weren't three pointers. Uh, those are that is evident uh, of that as well. So big things from OG Ananobi, and obviously having to take on the task of being the primary defender on LeBron James, and uh, doing that as well as chipping in 23 points on very efficient shooting uh, deserves to be mentioned. A, a very nice game from him and Fred VanVleet as well. Uh, 13 points, 11 assists. He was also uh, instrumental in getting guys uh, involved. As uh, you know, he kind of mentioned at the end of the game there that Fred VanVleet had to go more of the point guard. Uh, play more of the point guard role in this game where, you know, Lowry was being more of a scorer uh, and having more of that shooting guard mentality. And both of those guys obviously can uh, exchange that point guard shooting guard mentality on any given night, uh, just given their size and skill sets. And it was uh, more Fred Van Vliet who was more the point guard and Kyle Lowry looking to be the scorer on this night. So uh, kudos to Fred Van Vliet to, for, uh, you know, recognizing the situation and uh, understanding what his role had to be uh, to make sure that the Raptors got this win tonight. And he was able to do that, uh, uh, obviously, again, by the 13 points and 11 assists. Um, overall takeaways from this game, Toronto really hasn't missed a beat. Um, they're, they're still a championship contender team, in my opinion. Uh, do I think that they're going to get to the finals? I think that's going to be tough given what the Bucks look like. I still think the Bucks are probably the favorite to get to the finals. Uh, but, you know, Toronto, obviously even with the loss of two great defensive players in Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard, still have proven that they have the ability to defend at a high level on any given night. And tonight was a great example of that. And, uh, you know, LeBron had a quote at the end of the game about, you know, how the media is kind of, you know, disrespecting the Raptors a little bit because Kawhi is not there, but also uh, made a very interesting statement by saying, uh, you know, the players know what kind of team Toronto is. And that, that that's, that's really a testament to just how you know, the players around the league understand how difficult it is to play the Toronto Raptors just, and for all the reasons that I stated earlier in the podcast, the defense, uh, you know, the ability to have scoring come from different places on any given night, whether it's Siakam on one night, Lowry on the other, uh, you know, even Norm Powell, is averaging 16 a game this year, low key, and uh, or you can get nights like OG had tonight, and even Marcus Sol uh, can go off. Serge Ibaka, like a lot of the a lot of these guys, you just don't think about. Terrence Davis could have a night. Like I, it, the list goes on and on about guys that can chip in uh, and give you you know 20, uh, you know on any given night uh, if need be. So. You know, the Toronto Raptors haven't missed a beat. They look fantastic in this game, and I expect them to be a problem uh, in the playoffs. Uh, as for the Lakers, um, you know, you can't really put too, too much stock into this game. Uh, you know, obviously they got stifled by a good Toronto Raptors defense, but they obviously are still a favorite to get to, or not, sorry, not the favorite, but one of the favorites, I should say, to get to the finals. Them, you know, the Clippers, and, you know, maybe you throw in one other team there, but I think it's between the Battle of L.A. to see who uh, represents the Western Conference in the NBA Finals, and and this game doesn't change that for me. They're still that team, but uh, I think they just need to, um, you know, kind of understand who they were playing tonight, and uh, I just think they 
Uh, I think they need to make sure that they've got answers uh, when LeBron and Anthony Davis, uh, you know, don't necessarily have it going at the highest levels. And that might be easier said than done given their personnel. That's why they went out and got a guy like J.R. Smith, like Deion Waiters, uh, but both of whom, you know, obviously can fill it up on any given night, but both of those guys uh, not really having great nights. So they've got a... I think that I think the Lakers are going to be okay, but they just they've got some stuff to think about uh, moving forward here uh, as we get uh, closer to uh, the start of the playoffs. All right, I want to talk about T.J. Warren's 54 points really quick. Uh, not, nothing, nothing I want to get. Nothing I want to go deep, deep into, but uh, the Pacers did beat the Sixers uh, on the back of T.J. Warren's career-high 54. I mean, I, I watched the highlights of, you know, how he got there, and he just caught fire. You can just see it. Like, it was it was points in transition. He had spot-up threes. He had threes off the dribble. He was hitting mid-rangers. There was back cuts for buckets. He had floaters. He he, the, he was just seeing the basket on a different level uh, last, I think, it was, I believe it was last night, and and kudos to him. Like I think TJ Warren has been an underrated scorer for a long time uh, in this league, and really just hasn't gotten his due because I guess he hasn't necessarily been, uh, you know, a guy that you know you give the ball to on every single possession. Or he's not. He hasn't been a two. You know, I think at most maybe he's been a third option uh, on most teams he's been in his career. But I mean, if you remember, he was, uh, I, I believe the Suns traded him for the, to the Pacers and they attached a 32nd overall uh, or sorry, a 33rd uh, overall pick in the draft for cash considerations. So, I mean, I saw a funny thing on Twitter. Cash considerations has never scored 50 points, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, all jokes aside, kudos to TJ Warren, Guy really uh, can fill it up and uh, has been underrated uh, in that aspect at least for a long time. And uh, hopefully he gets a little bit more due now that he had his uh, mini coming out party here in the bubble with that 54. So kudos TJ Warren. Uh, thank you for giving us some, uh, some big time scoring entertainment there. All right, and finally, let's talk about uh, the New Orleans Pelicans dropping two in a, two in a row here. Uh, so, so the Pelicans obviously lost a close one on opening night to the Utah Jazz 106-104 and then got absolutely stomped out by the Clippers. I think they lost by like 30 or 40. I, I honestly I fell asleep after watching that game uh, just because it was just such a it was such a massacre. I felt so bad. Uh, I think the what's the final score? I think I've got it here somewhere. One twenty six to one hundred three, and that for the Clippers, and that really doesn't even do it justice. I think that was that was even more of a blowout. Uh, than the score, uh, you know, kind of highlighted it to be. But do I think that they're out of it right now? I'm actually going to say no. I don't think that the Pelicans are totally out of the playoff mix yet. And here's why. So, you know, they obviously they dropped two of these games, but they're still four games back. Um, so, and that, again, remember, that's in play-in tournament range here. That's still in the range of a play-in tournament. And they're uh, four games back of eighth which is Memphis, but they're only one, uh, one and a half games back of ninth. So remember, for this play-in tournament to happen, uh, the it's only the eighth and ninth seed. So if 10, 11, and 12 are also three and a half or four games back uh, or whatever, those teams still don't get to play in the play-in tournament. It's only the ninth seed that gets a chance to play in the play-in tournament. And that's if they are four games back or less. So basically... It's uh, for the Pelicans, what they have to do is basically find themselves uh, a way to get into ninth or eighth, obviously, but find themselves to get into ninth. And to do that, they're only 1.5 games back of ninth right now. And the teams ahead of them include the Kings, the Spurs, 
the Trailblazers, uh, so obviously Pelicans are 12th, Kings 11, Spurs 10, Blazers 9, Grizzlies 8th. So listen to the schedule that the Pelicans have uh, in terms of them being able to get back into the mix here. They play the Pelicans, the Kings, the Wizards, the Spurs, the Kings, and the Magic. So that's six games that they very easily they very easily could win all six of those games. And you know, with a couple of those games being against. Uh, the Kings and the Spurs, they have a chance to obviously leapfrog those teams and obviously one against the Grizzlies uh, helps as well. And, you know, the Wizards uh, obviously are a depleted team uh, that, you know, don't play much defense, unfortunately. And that's an opportunity for them to get a win there as well. So if they can control their destiny here a little bit just by getting some of these wins while some of these other teams might have to play a little bit tougher competition, they definitely have the opportunity to sneak back into that ninth seed and do that two-game play-in tournament with the uh, the Grizzlies or the Trailblazers or whoever ends up being an eighth, most likely the Grizzlies, uh, if you ask me. But um, so the you know the Pelicans, you know they dropped two in a row. It seems like they're out of it, not just yet. Let's let's wait and see for a second here, and let's uh, let's see if they can uh, kind of dig themselves back out of this hole with these next six games against you know a relatively you know I'll say weak competition um, in the league at least and. Let's see if they can climb uh, climb up and bring themselves out of this hole. Because I think if they can handle their business, they can get themselves into ninth and play that two-game play-in tournament against the Grizzlies and have a chance to get into the playoffs. All right, that will wrap it up for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, obviously, you can subscribe, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, all that good stuff. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at IsoBallPod, IsoBallPodcast, or Derek Terrio. Search any one of those, and I'm sure my stuff will come up. But thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week with uh, another podcast. Actually, you know what? Let's let's do this actually live on the air here. We're going to pick a game of the week. You, I... I forgot that that was something that I did a lot of you know uh, before the hiatus and I'd like to do start doing that again because I think uh, that's actually kind of fun for me is to pick a game allow you guys uh, to go ahead and obviously kind of like watch the game with me uh, if you will and then that way we can talk about it and you know kind of discuss where things are so I'm scrolling through you know the kind of the league pass calendar here trying to take a look at uh, what I think might be interesting, and I think I think the one that I'm going to choose here is let let's go let's go with the Clippers versus the Mavericks on August 6th at 6:30 p.m. Clippers versus the Mavericks. I think that's going to be a good game. I think that's a battle of offense versus defense there with the Clippers and the Mavericks, and let's see who comes out on top. Uh, I think Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell will be back by then, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So that should be uh, that should have an added element there. But okay, Mavericks Clippers, 6:30. Thursday, August 6th. That'll be next week's game of the week and the one that we'll talk about uh, on the next podcast. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk soon.